1: Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Great to be with you. Hope you're well on a gorgeous Balls McWednesday. I'm Jeff. That's Tom, Director Matthew in the house. We're live. We're just at home. It's all right. It's the way it's going to be today. Live, but at home. And you should hear my dog in about 30 minutes barking crazily as kids come home from school.
2: Good times. Who knew that uh, all those interviews with Walt Deptula back in the day would just be a sign of things to come as technology improved and you could do a show from the house that it would just be uh, the sound of the future so to speak.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, this will be an interesting conversation with Walt this year when Florida State comes up to Clemson to take on the Tigers, uh, a game that uh, is not a foregone conclusion for once. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. I'd really like to go ahead and end that losing streak. I'd love to do it there. Although it is kind of weird because you feel like in a game or a series played between those two teams, and by series I mean two games, um, that it would be a split. It feels like it would be a split. So it's almost like I'm calculating in my mind. Go ahead and lose that one on the road so that you can get the ultimate Revenge and win the war after having lost the battle.
2: Yeah, I hear you. Um, if if Clemson were to win the the regular season matchup, that would be eight in a row. Oh, it's, it,
1: it's it's excessive.
2: You'd be in a position where if you slip up in Charlotte, you would have all of that talent gone, all that veteran talent, and Clemson would be coming to town for a bit at the Platinum Bohica Buddy, which would be very very shameful. Did you know that the all-time series is now whittled down to just a five-game spread? We lead it 20-15. to That is embarrassing. We have got to change this, sir.
1: Yeah, and that was a point of pride for a real long time because Clemson fans, in fairness to them, have always been uh, rabid, good football fans. And they were painfully aware of how they had been bent over upon Florida State's arrival in the ACC for years to the point where it seemed impossible that they would ever get within striking distance of a series uh, equalizer. You know, they didn't didn't seem to have any hope that that was ever going to happen. Um, And, you know, understandably, when you're down 15, 17 games in a series, you just, in your lifetime, it's hard to project how you're gonna win something so lopsidedly as to make a dent into that. And yet, Never say never, because it happened, and um, we would never have a guest on in 2013, you and I on the road, up at Clemson, down on the field, the both of us, watching that ass-beaten, being delivered in front of those gobsmacked fans, many of whom headed to the exits midway through the second quarter. They could have never realized that uh, their day was coming, and, uh, and it hurts to say, but that's exactly what's happened.
2: What's crazy is I'm looking at the year-by-year the year results, and there's a lot of orange in the last seven, of course. But the winner of that football game between Florida State and Clemson for as garbage as the ACC is in general in football for, the, for that period of time, the winner of that football game at the time that they won it has been a top-five team in the country every single year except 2021. That's dating back to 2012, the night that Clemson threw the bag of tricks at us. Mark Stoops had real problems adjusting. But Jimbo had it, and he had it to the way that Florida State would score 49 points at home. They could have scored more if they really needed them. Uh, But from 2012 to present, only the 2021 season did not feature the winner of this football game in the top five in the country. So could it be that when they tee it up again, 10 years after that ass-kicking that we delivered up there, that both teams are in the top five for the matchup? It's very possible.
1: It is very possible, and I think that matchup will be uh, fantastic. Uh, I, I look forward to it. Um, we're, we're, you know, we'll continue to. By the way, guys, love you guys in the chat. I occasionally am looking at the chat. Sometimes I'm not looking in the chat, but things come up in the chat, and we do double check them when they come up. So I did see while I was talking to you just now that maybe another member of the Florida State football team has entered the portal, we will get confirmation. Uh, I just never want you to think we're completely ignoring you, but we obviously can't go with uh, what's in the chat per se. we got to get confirmation so that we don't get, uh, get yelled at. So there you go. That's what we'll do, and we'll track that down. I will say this, Daniel, since you're the one who wrote it, uh, it wouldn't be stunning. <laughs> if, that, if that particular player is, it would not be stunning, uh, and it really wouldn't be impactful in any way, shape, or form either uh none and uh, he's I mean, other than it it's fun to watch him uh work out he's a real strong guy uh and he is liked he is liked in that locker room that's the thing it's fun to be able to talk about guys and then follow it up pretty quickly with oh man he's guys love that guy we seem to say that uh a lot scott he is not a great player he's not even a good player he's not even an average player so don't go there buddy
2: um, that's crazy. And that's gotta be, uh, I would assume. Sarcasm. Uh, is that
1: sarcasm, Scott? I hope, uh, he's well, not he
2: a five stars and that's, uh, you know, so if he, if that's the truth, then
1: yeah, no, he's not a, he's, he's not a good player. Um, but he looks like a good player. He looks like a player should look if he were really good. Like you'd see that guy walk in somewhere and you'd be like that dude, he's gotta be good. Look at him. Yeah. Um, but, but he's not <laughs> so, and that's where you talk about fluidity and the, your ability to turn your hips and all that stuff and have some instincts about you. and it's, it's tough. Um, the game is more than being really strong. Um, yeah, and also, you're right. It doesn't mean guys that have brought this up, Jag just did it. Um, doesn't mean guys that enter the portal are automatically gone. But I brought this point up yesterday. And I got to tell you, I still don't really know where I sit on this. Ira said basically, Tom, that it's going to end up being a case-by-case basis. What were the circumstances by which the player did that, meaning entered their name uh, into the portal? And I can see it being that way where you have to have some flexibility about you, even if it rubs you the wrong way. Um, I'll just, I mean, I, I I would have a hard time having a guy enter his name into the portal, not fish, not fish about, but actually enter his name into the portal and then come groveling back for whatever reason and want to act as if this was, you know, no big deal that they entered the portal. I I might be of the mindset to say, no, no, by all means, have a good day. Now, you could counter that. I see the text or the tweet. I'll get to it. You could counter that with, Yeah, Jeff, you're gonna say that to a Heisman candidate? What if your all world wide receiver caught wind of some crazy offer, threw his name out there because he believed it, he was somehow convinced it was real, only to find out that it wasn't. That he had been duped by an unscrupulous agent or agent like individual operating on the behest of uh, that program that is trying to wreak havoc against your program and uh, then comes back to you and says, listen, I, I thought I had an opportunity to make three times what I'm making here in NIL money, and then I found out it wasn't real. I was never unhappy, but how, how could I turn down 500000 when I was making 200000 There's no way I could do that, coach. Can I come back? And would I say, no, you can't? Probably not. You're probably right. I probably wouldn't say that. I'd probably welcome them back. So I know. I mean, it's, it's tough.
2: I'd say here, uh, this is a position group that while it doesn't have the top end that uh, wows the guy above me on the screen here and Jeff on War Chant TV, uh, the linebacker room has probably five to six options ahead of Steven Dix Jr. specifically. Maybe, maybe seven when you have Blake Nicholson entering campus this fall. So as he tweets out, it's in his own words for those of you driving around town listening on, on Real Talk 93.3. Stephen Dix Jr. tweeted out a message saying, Thank you, Florida State, for everything. I will be entering the transfer portal with three years of eligibility left. I'm not sure how the hell he still has three years of eligibility left. He's but 38 for,
1: years old.
2: Good for Stephen Dix Jr. But but even with Brendan Gant's departure, if you're looking at the two deep or the linebacker position, I mean, you know the two starters in Tatum Bethune and Kalen DeLoach. You know that Omar Graham had a good camp. I uh, had a good final couple weeks of camp, but the coaching staff really likes what they have. And that young player Lundy is going to be there in front of Steven Dix jr. As well. DeMarco Ward uh, had a nice finish to camp um, well,
1: this will be, we'll be here until tomorrow. If you're going to name everybody in front of Steven Dix, there's no, he, he wasn't going to play. He's not any good. Now that is not me being mean. That's the reality of the situation. He hasn't been good. He's a great kid. He's a hard worker. I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he succeeds wherever it is. He goes, but we're not going to waste time. He's, He's gone. He's not a real good player. Uh, I think he's a uh, – maybe special teams. Okay, I'll cra- I'll amend this. On special teams, he can run real fast down there. He's a big kid. He'll blow up the wedge or something like that. There you go. That's what you got for me.
2: All right. What's next then?
1: Yeah. So, I'm just – I mean, there you go. We can take down the tweet. Um, but, yeah, that's where, that's where we're at. It's um, official. That's what you got. I mean, that's from his Twitter account. So, there we go. Uh, nothing's going on in the locker room, guys. Nothing's – There's no reason to panic here. These are players that we're not going to play, many of whom uh, need to go. I would make room for four or five more if I could. Uh, if, If I'm coming through and you're just giving me a list of guys, and again, I'm removing emotion from this. I'm removing any feelings you might have about an individual. This is me looking at a roster, talking about trying to win some championships win some games around here, as I used to say, right? There are a lot of guys that I'm saying, you know, you need to follow Steven Dick's lead. He's got the right idea. There are a lot of guys on this roster that I would say, you know, it seems to me that Brendan Gant was on the right trail. It looks like to me that Tavius Woody had the right idea. I would be saying this to 10 other guys right now, and I would have plenty of room to go out and find some other guys, that are better players than those individuals. That's where I'd be going. And we'll see. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. And again, that's just removing all emotion from the situation. There are plenty of guys on this team that if you're in the right situation are never going to see the field ever. And they shouldn't because they're not good enough. I think what they
2: need to do at Florida state is bring you in uh, like it's office space and you're John C. McGinley. uh, And you could be, the guy who walks in and has those conversations where you just kind of process and you move along, make sure you wear the suspenders. Cause that's always, that's always a flex. Yeah. And just what is it you say what you do is, here? What it, what, okay. So you're telling me that when we go to practice and the ones and the twos are on the field, you, where are you? Okay. And you've been here on campus for how long? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Since how 2018, 2018. Oh, oh yeah. my. Okay. All right. So what is it you say that you want to get out of your time here at Florida State? Do you consider yourself a football player? Because I'm not seeing evidence here on this sheet um, that beyond, you know, practice. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I think we have a conclusion here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And then you could be that guy. Every, you know, you got those meetings scheduled for 15 minutes. They always happen on Friday afternoon. And then that's how it happens. The the PR firm could actually start as an HR consulting firm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, this is good. This is You're in a good situation here, man. You're upgrading the talent on your roster left and right. Your recruiting class keeps getting better. The players you've brought in have upgraded the depth of talent on this roster. Your floor is much higher than it used to be. ceiling's better this next year than it's been in eons, really, and by eons, obviously, when you're losing football games, man, two and three years feels like forever. So – I mean, goodness gracious, you now are in a really good position. But as you do that, as you develop players and they do it all over the field, you see it everywhere right now, in addition to developing players and going out and getting better players and upgrading your high school recruiting, which they're also doing right now, um, you're going to see a lot of guys go by the wayside, guys that were here when things weren't going so well, guys that you had to settle on because you didn't have options on better players. Nobody was looking at you. But as you upgrade and you get better players and you bring them in, and it's readily apparent to those veteran players who look over at, let's just say, for example, at linebacker when Nicholson comes in, a two-sport athlete, a guy who plays both ways, a guy who's an elite athlete, he comes into town. You know immediately when you see that kid, that's different. I'm not beating that out. And so you look for other places to go play. There's nothing wrong with that, man. I looked around the locker room at little old East Tennessee State, and I went, damn, that kid's a lot faster than me. Damn, that kid's a lot bigger than me. It happens everywhere, and you have to start to figure out where you fit in. And sometimes when you go through that process, you go, I don't. I don't fit in. I'm never going to play here. And that's the way it works. It's not not personal. That's just the reality of the situation.
2: The question is, uh, how how many does it get to before this window is closed? And I think – and I'm a, I would start the counter with Gantt. It, it's not McClendon during camp. It, it starts post-spring. So that's three. And I know that when you look at the roster, you see at least ten more. <laughs> and that, I mean, I,
1: Well, listen, I'm not going to get here and start – You know, you know I'm not going to sit here now and just rattle off names. But as they come up, I'm not going to sugarcoat That it's okay that they're leaving. I mean, there'll be more, and I'm going to go yay or nay. I'll be honest with you, right? I mean, we both said, ah, kind of sucks that Gant left. Not the end of the day, but I would have preferred he stayed. McClendon, not the end of the day, I would have preferred he stayed. But come on, let's not kid ourselves. There's seven, eight guys minimum that if they say they're leaving, we're going to go,
2: okay. More room for better things. Well, I I revisit a question we got a couple of weeks ago, which was, I think, was it six and a half was the over-under? I mean, at this point, even before the news that happened 18 minutes ago on Twitter from Steven Dix himself, it it felt like it's going to fly past that number. I mean, of guys that at least enter their names into the portal. They at least take that step. Doesn't mean that they follow through necessarily, but that at least enter their names into the portal. That's got to be closer to 10. I would think if
1: they want to play football. Yeah. I mean, okay. So again, I'll have to fight to not say names before they enter their name in the portal. It always sounds to people like you're just being mean. It's not, but let's look at tight end Tom. Let's look at what they just did to the tight end room. They seriously upgraded the tight end room. You got, I know you do too. Four tight ends are going to play a lot this year. One of them I would have moved on from, but they clearly like him. Four tight ends are going to play a lot. Now yeah. there are more than four tight ends in that room.
2: Yeah. I, I would think that you are going to still invest your time and efforts into both drill powers and Brian Courtney. I well,
1: think one of it. those kids, maybe. Um, I, I, we disagree on one of them, but that's okay. And, and listen, uh, that's fine. I think it's a good point you make with Powers. But I just
2: Well, there's th- room. There's room for people to take it on down the road. Correct. You're going to lose two of them this off-season. So you continue to to develop beyond Biscuit down the line. And you see if anybody could be a solution by the end of fall camp. And you'll know by December how many more you need to go get in the portal or, or whatever it is. And obviously, you're bringing in the number one tight end in the country now and Landon Thomas, who flipped back from Georgia to Florida That's State. the other reason I brought up tight end, Tom. Correct. Yes. So these are all true things, but I don't know that you need to press and, and it, press the eject button on the younger tight ends that are in that room. There are some guys that have been here for several years, so I, I hear you there. But I don't know that you need to press eject on some on some projects, kids that you knew were going to going to be developmental projects anyway that have unique skill sets. Uh, offensive line to me is is a place where there's a lot of dudes. There's a lot. There's, of there, you, There's four. You could tell to have
1: a good day tomorrow. Probably so. Maybe yeah. more. But I mean, that, that's yeah. And again, I'm not saying they all go. And I'm not saying that we know for a fact that these kids are all going to come to the same conclusion that I've come to. It's hard to know when you're the one out there every day sacrificing. And I admire that, man. Football's hard. It's a very hard game. I'm not taking shots at them personally. I am saying that there's no denying that the roster is getting better. Everywhere you look, they're making upgrades on this roster. You bring in the number one tight end in the country, somebody's got to go. you've got too many tight ends and it's a beautiful problem because now we're talking about an area that just two years ago, I was almost ready to weep at when we looked at our tight ends, when we looked at our offensive line, I I would come in every day and go, Oh, good God, this group cannot win with this offensive line. And now we're talking about 13 dudes. So it's it's a good problem to have, but the numbers don't add up. And in today's – if you're one of those guys and the roster's passed you by because Florida State's status has been upgraded, then you may want to look for somewhere else to go. No hard feelings like you said earlier in the show, Tom. You are right. No hard feelings both ways. Have a good one.
2: Yeah, it wasn't two years ago for the tight end room. It was like six months ago, (laughs) you know, because it wasn't until the back half of the season that we're like, hey, Marquiston, all right, there you go, Biscuit. It's a good player right there. But then you just got better and better at that particular position in the offseason. So, yeah, you know, things are getting better at most positions here at Florida State both ways. I think is the important thing to point out from the transfer portal, but then also the high school ranks. This recruiting class has a chance to be, you know, it, it was top five for a minute there for about a day on the on three industry recruiting rankings. It's back to seventh. But it's got a chance to be if they win double digit games again. The offense looks fun. Top five class industry wide. They've got a lot of momentum to them right now. My question is, and I think this is where it's fun with roster building, is, okay, so you've got the number one tight end in the country. We've got, like, three different ways that the tight end can play. This kid loves to block, Landon Thomas. I did the video with Michael. He's got a lot of blocking film, which makes me excited because it means he likes to do it. But when you build an offense the way you want to as Mike Norvell, not a reclamation project that quarterback who turns into a Heisman candidate not, I mean, just you build it the way you want to draw it up. How many tight ends do we have on the field at a given time in our base offense? How many receivers does he want? Does he want to be power? Does he want to be straight multiple so we can well, do all? Well, he
1: clearly wants all- to be multiple, obviously. I mean, look at what we did last year. We beat opponents last year each week in a different way.
2: Correct, but the thing is, philosophically speaking, when it comes down to it, and now that you can recruit to be whatever it is you want, especially if they have another big season this year, you will be able to recruit to an identity that is yours. And it's not about, I could, uh, I'm going to work with the best of what I got. It's here's what I want to do. I wonder yeah. what that looks like. Well, I don't know, but I, I've
1: heard Mike Norvell say that he always, and he did it at Memphis, adheres to personnel strengths in the moment. Yep. And that is going to vary because it's not professional football. You don't get to sign guys to eight-year deals. Yep. They're three years if they're good. And so you've got to be malleable. And you have, to, you have to recognize, well, you know, this year's strength is the offensive line. I'm going to run the ball. This year's strength is the quarterback. I'm going to chuck it around the lot. This year's strength is, you know, whatever it is, wide receiver. all four out there at any given time, five sometimes because we have so many good ones. You know, like, I do think he's malleable in that way. And, and because college football is uniquely different. Pro football, you're right. You can really build a roster around your overriding philosophy and make them adhere to that and find the perfect pieces to fit those roles. But kids come and go. And now with the portal, not only do you contend with graduation, but you get kids who just pissed off or homesick, and you're going to lose a kid. So I, I just, you have to really be malleable. So, Jeff Cabricho, 933 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day. And I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, it had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also uh, over time, you'll note that it uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health a habit. And uh, it is a a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, That's athletic greens. And uh, I I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product athleticgreens.com slash jcs check it out i think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day athleticgreens.com slash jcs against it but i would really need it to be a difference maker i would really need to see a guy that you are you know you're looking at to plug and play right off the bat that it'd be kind of a no-brainer because if you if you think about this one aspect we like where it's going in terms of career growth and overall potential for portier we like where that's headed we believe johnny wilson you know is going to be good again this year but you don't know the situation in terms of the post-surgery return to health for Micah Pittman. You don't know how soon that's going to be. And you really haven't seen him go all out yet and be consistently, for lack of a better term, good, from Winston Wright yet. And, you know, we know he missed last year off that terrible car accident and the surgeries he had. Now, we're all rooting for him, and we assume because we've seen him running at full speed some. You and I certainly have practiced Have watched him change directions and go through drills. But we haven't seen one of those days where he has four big plays in one-on-ones or seven-on-seven. Or You know, we haven't really seen that at all. So, you know, I think there's a question mark about how far back he gets, you know, to how close does he get to being the guy he was at West Virginia, who was uber productive. Um, So we don't know. And then you've had some other guys who have been hurt or, you know, unimpactful for lack of a better term. I, I guess you could certainly look at that position and say that if there was a difference maker, you would do it.
2: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is just looking at last year's stats for the receivers, uh, the fifth leading receiver on the team in terms of yardage last year was Kentron. I didn't know that, but he had yeah, 283 yards. But I think, if you, if you thought about this for more than a few seconds out there in the chat or on the radio, who was the number two receiver on the roster in terms of yardage? If you think big games, you're going to get it right. Pokey Wilson is a loss. This is, this is a loss year-to-year year for this roster. That was a guy who, if you listed the most important players in the LSU victory, he's got to be in your top Well, three. Big game Pokey is what he became known
1: as. He made all the big plays, early and impactful
2: moments in those games. See the Miami game. The Miami game, the first touchdown down the middle. I mean, you know, it's 495 yards. It's not like a ton, but each of them were pretty big, it felt like. And so when you're looking for somebody to help you make a statement early in the game, when you're looking for another option on third and got to have it beyond Johnny, who we feel better about, and he could be a game breaker like the tough catches he makes, but you still have a doubt there on a fourth and six or a third and seven when the ball's in the air is like, all right, bring it down now. Bring it down, Johnny. You're open. Mm -hmm. Who's the next guy you know is it do you have to go to Jahim Bell first do you have to go to Morlock or do you do you like Kentron or Vandravius but it, it gets thinner the responses that you're looking for aren't there in spades where you're saying oh well if it's if he's not open we're going here because I can trust that guy there's a lot of unproven to Florida State when it's a third and gotta have it situation. I think I almost feel better with a rail route to Trey Benson or Lawrence Tophely in that situation. That I might some of the receiving targets. So if you if I was going to make an argument for them going into the portal to go get a receiver, that would be how I would craft the argument of, I don't know who's the mo- old reliable outside of Johnny in that wide receiver core when you got to have a big play.
1: Well, the original argument I made, and I think um, you know there was some pushback uh, from from some Florida State fans, but I don't think they're an elite receiving core by any stretch. I they don't. That receiving core is not something that defensive coordinators sit around scared to death of. I don't believe that. Not good teams. Um, you know, not good defenses. I, I think that you 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 are always going to recognize if you're a defensive coordinator that you've got a problem with a six-seven receiver that moves as well as Johnny Wilson does for his size. Now, Johnny Wilson ain't running away from anybody, so they're not worried about his speedy his straight line speed. He's not slow, but he's not a, a burner. So you're not worried about that. You're worried about his size, you know, and his ability to go up and make athletic plays down the field, uh, make tough catches. He'll he'll give you some back, though, which we know. Um, there is no clear number two right now to the point where we think Vendravius Jacobs may have won that spot. I mean, a true freshman in one spring has wowed us to the point where we're considering maybe he's your two. Portier is likely your two, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's that close already. It's not. I mean, now where I do think the matchup problems are presented. Now I'm still in that role of that DC for that opposing team is I say, all right, I'm not scared to death of these receivers, but damn, man, they've got three tight ends that can really hurt me. And it's not me just having to stop these receivers. I've got these tight ends to deal with, and they're not going to have to change out personnel because they can stay on the field if they want to run the ball too. And then in addition to that, They've got especially one running back that catches as well as a receiver does in Toa Feely. So they can line him up in the slot or he can catch the ball out of the backfield with the best of them. The quarterback is extremely mobile. So if they put us in one-on-one situations and we're in man and we turn our back to this kid, he makes one guy miss and it's peace. You know, it's it's maybe a house call. It's not a first down. It might be a house call. So our offense presents real problems for defenses. And that's why we think and project this offense to do a lot of damage. I didn't even get to the depth at running back and the depth of the offensive line. We expect them to do a lot of damage. But if we're solely focusing on that segment group, wide receiver, Tom, you would not say that that was an elite receiving core.
2: No, I think they've got an elite player. And we defined that in a previous segment, you know, about college elite versus NFL, whatever. I think they've got an elite player in Johnny, and then they've got varied skill sets. I think that's their strength right now. They're not proven. Now, some of these guys, if and when they prove themselves, you're going to jump up the ranks in how you would term the receiver.
1: Oh, Deuce Span, do Span is exactly who you're talking about there because he's, from an NFL standpoint, the guy, right, receiver-wise. I mean, that athleticism, that wank, that speed, those hops, he's got to figure it all out.
2: Yeah, same thing I would say for Darion Williamson. If he could be healthy enough to, you know, participate with consistency in, in this fall, that's a skill set that you can do a lot of things with, you know, and, and he could take that next step. Dre Jacobs, I think we—I mean, we all expected at this point that it's going to happen. It's just could it happen in his freshman season? Is that too much to ask? I think that's the question that's before him. But you look at the skill sets—they are varied. You have a—I I would term Kentron as more of a possession style receiver. Again, yeah. not another burner, but he's yeah. not small. He's not small. No, he's a big kid, and he does a great job of of body control and, and catching in traffic. He still puts him on the deck a little bit, too, every once in a while, and that'll frustrate you. But then you've got Winston Wright, and if it clicks for him health-wise, it's going to go overnight, and he'll be realized. You just hope that that's still in the tank for him as we get into fall camp. Because if it comes back, he is proven. We know what he is. Ja'Kai Douglas is a burner, and that could be used as a gadget player, but whatever. That's something that you've got to scheme for. On defense, you go down the list. If you want tall targets, if you want medium-sized possession targets or little scat-type receivers, we've got it. It's just that you don't have a guy next to Johnny where you say, elite, elite. It's just not, that's just not the case. Not yet.
1: No, and I, I, you know what I hear when, when we do this, when we have the larger discussion about receiver? And, and I do it too. We have to. I hear if. If. I hear if over and over and over again is what I hear. Capital I, capital F. And that leaves me a little uncomfortable. Again, hyper-focus, hyper-scrutiny, trying to look at winning a championship and get to a place where we can win a championship. Championship-level teams aren't perfect teams, but they don't have a ton of ifs either. Yep. And so that's the thing you kind of look at. You know, you look at, the best teams in the country, you'll go, oh, well, they're a little weak here, they're a little weak there. But there's not a lot of guesswork as to whether or not they have the skill to, you know, to put an cr- ugly number on you. I mean, you know, there's you're like, that guy's good, that guy's good. What are we going to do about that guy? What do we do here? I just hear too many ifs when it what's, comes to, to our receiving core right now.
2: What's fun, though, is, is when it's proven that we go grab dudes from high school, and I think that's, that's the next thing that's happening before our eyes. Then the talk becomes, Where do you see this kid? And I feel yeah. like Vandravius is close. He's very close to where do you see this guy status. Not quite yet. I, I do want to see how fall camp progresses and if he could be consistent. Had a case of the drops towards the end of camp, the spring camp as well. But if he holds up and he can handle that rigorous schedule, man, let's just say that he has one game breaking play against LSU. At that point, confidence would skyrocket. You know you belong. And who knows where that kid could go? Because, again, nobody's going to scheme around Vandravius Jacobs week to week. They've got too much other stuff to worry about. So if he can be in a confident place with that skill set and you're drawing the third best or fourth best defensive back, man, somebody has the chance to go off. And even if they're not, you know, what their stats might suggest they are, just because you're going to get a great matchup so often.
1: Oh, we're a matchup problem. I agree with that. That's the counter to my if question. We are a matchup problem. I mean, if you if you're going to leave guys alone, I mean, they're they're going to make some plays now. And and I really like Mike as a play caller. So he tends to put guys in positions to succeed. He tends to find isolations and one-on-one situations in which you can exploit somebody. So you got a good coach, a good offensive mind, and he's got a varied group of weapons. You can overcome all these ifs that I concern myself with. It's just kind of fun to, to do the you know, two-headed monster there with the argument and have some back and forth with it.
2: You know, the thing that gets me really excited and and it does exactly what I don't want to do is put too much expectations on a true freshman, even though that it's not like a real thing that they're placed upon him physically. It's just, I don't want to be disappointed. And I think back to some of these one-on-ones that we watched across the weeks with Vandravius, like the individual matchups when he's on an island with a corner, which he's going to be often this year. And he made some of our better corners look like fools. And he is a true freshman in his first camp. But well, what
1: you do is lead into the argument of how good are our corners? And <laughs> is that going to be a problem? <laughs> it's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. were, uh, If we were hot, hot tub in it, Tom, if we were in, the, not that you and I would be, but if we were floating in the tub. <laughs> if we were uh, pinch a penny, hot tub in it, we were in the tub. I'd bring up a couple of baseball stats late in the show here uh, as we were relaxing in the tub because of Kershaw's win last night. And uh, I don't know if you, if you had the opportunity to see, Uh, some of the rarefied air that that puts him in. Um, But an interesting talking point that if you would look at, say, the first 23, soon to be 25 years of the 21st century, who are the best pitchers? And the answer is uh, certainly uh, Justin Verlander, uh, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw. Some people would throw in there Zach Greinke. Um, but that would be your, your list right there, right? Um, that, that would be a list of uh, of guys. But I thought this was kind of cool. According to baseball reference, um, if you just look at war, the answer is Verlander, Kershaw, Grinky Scherzer. Frangrafs has it Verlander, Kershaw, Scherzer. If you go by old school metrics, ERA, it is Kershaw, Scherzer, Verlander, ERA plus Kershaw by a mile. If it's just strikeouts, it's Scherzer, Verlander, Kershaw. You get my point here, guys. If it's whip, it's Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer. Uh, That gives you a sizable view and a lot of metrics to view who have been the best players at that position, pitcher, over the last 23 years. Now, again, Verlander is old as dirt, and he has pitched more than all those guys, so some of his strikeout numbers are skewed a little bit there, but, man, it's kind of cool to think that you've been watching, even if we're not a fan of the team, and we're not, um, you know, none of those guys, Uh, well, for you, Scherzer is now on your team. He has been on every team in the majors, but he is now on yours, so you have a rooting interest, but... Verlander has been on a lot of teams too. None of those guys have been on teams I give a damn about, but I love baseball. So I would just note that it's really cool that we've seen the three best pitchers of the last 23 years, uh, really the first part of this century, if you
2: will. Um, I mean, these guys are all Hall of Famers. Well, and Verlander's a Met now too. We'll see if he ever pitches for him. I forgot about that. That's right. We'll see if he ever pitches for him. I think it's Kershaw, though, even though we've got two of the guys that you keep listing on that roster, just because. The consistency, I saw a stat today about um, in the modern live ball era of baseball, which goes back a long ways. Mm-hmm. If you list every pitcher who has 200 or more wins and, and an ERA below 250, that list consists of Clayton Kershaw. That's it. Nobody yeah. else has 200 or more wins and an ERA sub 250. And it's not like Kershaw is pitched in, you know, uh, the '60s. You know, when when it's the the year of the pitcher and they move the mound and they change the rules on those things. Maybe some sticky tack stuff towards the end of his career, but he's old now. In the heart of his career, I mean, it's all about the three run home run. And in that division too, the NL West usually has a couple of big bats in it. Throughout his career, the dude has just been rock solid and consistent. The playoff discussion is different with Clayton Kershaw, but if you're looking at over 162. I think he's number 1 in the consistency uh, factor and then the other two guys are right there behind him with great key in a conversation.
1: Well, and Clayton finally did shake a the the postseason stuff finally and and he ended up having a couple of postseason starts that helped them on their way to a title. So, you kind of get rid of that label a little bit. But yes, the numbers are not the back of the baseball card in the postseason. You're right. Um, I would say this, Scherzer is the more explosive of the guys. 10.7 strikeouts per nine innings is the highest for any pitcher, by the way, in baseball history with more than 400 starts. It's higher than Randy Johnson. It's higher than Pedro Martinez. It's higher than Nolan Ryan. Wow. That's crazy.
2: That Now that's absurd. Um, you yeah. wonder if, if he had to pitch nine innings at night, if that number would still stay. But it doesn't matter. This is the era that you're a part of and, and that you were built for. Uh, I would just say that the other thing about Clayton Verlander might be more impressive because I remember we read an article, you read one specifically, but it was on ESPN.com from the uh, the ESPN radio days in which it, he was declared dead because all of his metrics, everything came down yeah. with velocity, like the, everything. And it was basically an article that said Verlander's career is over. It was good while it lasted. And that was about eight years ago. <laughs> and he still found a way to, to win a Cy Young eight years later, but Kershaw's velocity has diminished so much. And yet he knows how to pitch. I just love guys who, even when, Oh, me too. Yeah. When it tapers down. Yeah. They might've at one point in their career, just throw it by you and blow you away with 96 or 97. That fastball is nothing crazy, but that curveball is just an unbelievable equalizer. And, and his understanding of pitch sequencing, He's an artist, like Maddox was an artist, like second part of his career. Pedro Martinez, it didn't last very long, but that dude went from 97, 98 miles an hour to ninety-two, and he'd still k, he'd still k ten out of uh, every nine innings. So I just love guys like that.
1: Well, and. With Pedro, he had he had everything you wanted in that. He had an understanding of the strike zone. He could be a two-pitch pitcher, and he just kept you off balance all the time. It's crazy. Uh, one other note here to your point about Kershaw, and it is fun to bring this up. And anytime we're talking about documentation of a guy who reaches a milestone and we're reflecting on where he sits in this elite group, it's good to know these other metrics. And Kershaw has been the toughest to hit, to your point the toughest to reach base against, the toughest to score against. Now, Dodger Stadium helps out with that. But he is now 107-40 and 40 with a 2-2 ERA and holds hitters to a 204-255-318 slash line in Dodger Stadium. If you play him in Dodger Stadium short of a couple of really bad playoff starts, that dude is beating your ass. You're not going to sniff, and it's just been a dominant uh n- set of numbers and and so congratulations to him, whatever two hundred i I oddly know somebody that knows him well and oh. has said that he is a fantastic human being. Yeah, my friend of mine went to his wedding um and and he said he's a fantastic human being. He's also giant, and to your point, by the way, about deception and understanding how to pitch. As his fastball diminished, and he effectively utilizes that nasty curveball, it's also the herky-jerky, crazy, all-elbows-and-knees yeah. motion. You can't pick up the ball.
2: No. And the last thing I'll say about him, because we only got two and a half minutes to go, but last night I watched the first inning of the ball game before I went to – I was so dead from the hockey game, which go bolts. Yep. Uh, and there was a three-base error on the right fielder to start the game. Routine fly ball. Brandon immo's on third. Nobody out. All Kershaw does is throw about 20 curveballs between then and the end of the inning strikes out the side. I was like, "Okay, well, no, nope, we're not getting him tonight. If that's the curveball you've got, we're done." <laughs> <laughs> hey, rapid fire. Uh, our thanks to our
1: friends at Power Mill. If you got a young softball player, baseball player, take them over and get some lessons there at Power Mill, get some instruction, let them be the best they can be. Rays are killing the Reds, eight to nothing. That's Rasmussen and Levi Stout. Guardians and Tigers, three to one, Cleveland. That's Cal Quantrill, Spencer, Turnbull. Giants, Marlins, Alex Cobb, Trevor Rogers, Madison Bumgarner, Jake Woodford later on. Rangers, Royals, Martin Perez, Brady singer. Tawan Walker goes for the Phillies. The White Sox will throw Clevenger. Mets, Dodgers tonight. Max Scherzer, the aforementioned Noah Syndergaard. And then we've got Pirates, Rockies, who Pirates win again last night. Johan Avedo pitching for the Pirates. Austin Gomber for the Rockies. Cubs A's, Justin Steele, Mason Miller. Charlie Morton going to go for the Braves. He of the 105-year-old Morton family. Nick Martinez goes for the Padres. Brewers, Mariners, Eric Lauer, Marco Gonzalez, Orioles, Nats. That is Kyle Bradish, Mackenzie Gore, Angels, Yankees, Griffin Canning, Tom. Johnny Brito goes for the Yankees. Twins, Red Sox, Joe Ryan, Corey Kluber. We'll conclude the night with Jose Berrios with the Blue Jays, and the Astros will throw Luis Garcia. And that is your look at those that shall reside on the bump.
2: It's a beautiful thing. What's a more beautiful is the view from the beach, buddy. That's the more beautiful thing. Yeah. So
1: Tom and I are leaving Uh, with our significant others uh, today, tomorrow, and uh, we will not be back until uh, Monday. So uh, you guys do well by yourselves and hang in there and have a great week. We're going to go to the beach uh, and uh, spend some time inebriated and then uh, wander around, eat good food, and enjoy ourselves. That's how that's going to (laughs) work. Good work out of you. Thank you, Director Matthew. Be well, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Peace.